Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Amanda is on the couch. We got a cool, cool, fucking cool guest hanging out over Zoom. Most of the guests are just cool, but I called you fucking cool, which means oh. you're you're about five steps above. I feel well, like, I, I feel like that four steps, <laughs> man, no, five steps, six steps. Oh, I got to spell better. How many letters are in fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, six. I think, I think it's six. Apostrophe, yeah, I was gonna right? say okay. six, six letters if we're taking the G off. Anyway, hey everyone, it's Amanda, and we do have a cool guest on Zoom today. We've got Julie, who's a registered massage therapist in British Columbia, Canada. For you non-Canadians, that's all the way on the west coast. So it and it, it is one of two Canadian provinces I've not yet been to. So BC's got to be on my hit list. I know Julie's eyes right now are like, "What? You've never been to BC? I've never been to BC either? No, Mark hasn't it's- either." incredible we've mm-hmm. gone the other way we've gone east coast many many times i've been to the east coast more times than i can count but west coast not so much <laughs> what, do you have the inability to count past 12 i do i absolutely <laughs> do i think after a certain point though like you said even when um when i became a therapist like after probably like six seven years i stopped actually counting how many years so i have to stop and think about it i would have to stop and count how many times i've been to the east coast I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. Do you have the top of your head? Uh, not off the top of my head. Ah, the, uh, there you go. But I never, anyway. I never, I never claimed to. I don't fucking remember yesterday. I'm gonna remember like road trips to East Coast. Anyway, the first time, I, one of the first times I went though, it was really fun. I, I, I called up my butt. I have this good friend of mine. His name is Wade, and we've been friendly since high school. And this is now we're. I can't remember how many years out of university this is. Again, this is like probably, I don't know, 2006, maybe 2006. Makes sense. It was before you met me. And uh, I'm like, hey, dude, take off some time off of work. I'm not not telling him anything else. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, just take off, I don't know, take off four, five, six days, take off a week if you can. And I'm like, I'm going to come pick you up. We're going to go on a road trip. He's like, what are we doing? I'm like, we're just going to drive east until we hit water. That's it. Like we have no, and we ended up, that was like one of the best road trips I've ever done. No offense. But that was one of the best, that was one of the best dude road trips I've ever done. New Mm -hmm. Brunswick was a blast. Like we ended up, we ended up in old Quebec city the first night, which was awesome because Wade had never been before. So we went to old Quebec city and then, uh, we ended up somewhere in New Brunswick. Moncton, New Brunswick was a fucking fun night. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Moncton, New Brunswick was a fun night. Cause I recall giving him a, oh, I shouldn't tell you this. I'm sorry. I've already heard this story. You can tell, you can tell the masses. I have already heard the story many times about girls and boobs and massages on the side of the road. Yeah. I've heard really, all of it. It's really, yeah. yeah <laughs> Julie's like face that. is like, what? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So like, cause I, I'm, 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 we're, we're at this bar and there's a there's this patio and then I'm smoking outside of the patio but I'm sitting around with oh forget it, I'm not gonna tell the story now anyway <laughs> Moncton was a really good time and then we ended up in, in PEI and, and well because that was where we stopped when we hit water when we were surrounded completely by water that was a really mm-hmm. good trip anyway I don't know why I said all this I'll stop talking because we've never been to the west coast you gotta do that you gotta head out west it's a whole nother world I believe you I feel yes. like I feel like BC is a whole other world so one and day we will go. We don't even mind, like, as a road trip, we don't even mind the fucking flatlands in the middle. I actually enjoy that drive through that through Manitoba and Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan I mean, yeah. last time we went, we got as far as Saskatchewan because we went out for a conference. But I, I actually enjoyed that drive. And that's the drive that everyone says they fucking hate. And I'm like, I like that. It that's was beautiful. It was yeah. actually really cool because I had never been in a place that was so flat where literally it felt like you're in a dome of sky, yeah. right? Like you could just see clouds 
all around you. I was trying to do like a panoramic photo. I'm not very good at these things, but I was trying to do like a panoramic photo just to show like everywhere I turn right now is just blue sky and clouds. And I thought it was really beautiful too. Because it's a low, it's a low horizon and therefore just a ton of sky. It's fucking I great. I think majority of people though are fascinated by mountains. That's why BC is like the place to go. Everyone <sighs> loves the mountains. <sighs> So flat. There's something else. so exciting. Yeah. I think the beautiful part is when you get into Alberta and you've, you've gone from the flatlands and all the sky and all of a sudden you see the mountains starting to pop up. Mm. And then all of a sudden it's like a wall of mountain. So it's just like a geography book. And mm. then you stroll through them and it's just outstanding beauty. I'm from Montreal or outside of Montreal. And so, and my child's father lived in Winnipeg. And so we would go back there. And so I had a bit of a spectrum of the different topography in Canada, but the mountains just make you think and help you remember that there's something bigger than you in the world and more than skyscrapers. It's so humbling to be around that much nature and knowing that there's not that much uh, human life around. Mm. It's it's pretty outst uh, uh, outstanding. I agree. Before we yeah. um, do anything else, I would love for our guest to introduce herself. Yes. And then eventually I want to know how you ended up a Quebec girl living in BC. So we have Julie here today. As I said, she's a registered massage therapist in BC. And for everyone listening, Julie, can we have a little bit of background about you? How long you've been in the profession? Maybe how you became a massage therapist? And then, as I said, what led you to be a practicing therapist in BC? Sure. I'd love to. So... I guess it's a bit of a long-ish story. It started when I was a kid and was slinging massages on the school bus for a dollar. And so, yeah. It was I almost spit out my it. coffee. That was so good. <laughs> really? I'm glad you didn't. She was a hustler, a waste. From, hustler from a kid. <laughs> Want to massage one dollar. <laughs> yeah, a dollar for a rub. So, um, yeah, no, it's just something that I did and I enjoyed doing and apparently I was good at. And then I found out that people did this for a profession. And so my my mother got me a massage and I remember her telling me, oh, it's going to hurt. I'm like, what? It's not supposed to hurt, isn't it? Like, I, I didn't know. But then it actually did. And it was pretty horrible. Mm. Um, and I promised myself that I would never practice like this. And so, um, yeah, I guess I knew well, massage therapy in Quebec is very different, as you may know. Mm -hmm. They focus very much on techniques, right? And so, and there's not a lot of prerequisites. And so I graduated massage therapy. I was 16 because Quebec only has uh, high school up to grade 11, right? So I was pretty young when I graduated. And then I went straight into massage therapy, did my Swedish massage, chair massage, shiatsu, uh, sports, and masochinesiotherapy out there. Mm -hmm. I uh, was too young to actually practice by the time I finished my Swedish and chair massage. I was 17. And so I had a uh, chair massage. My, our chair massage teacher actually brought us to Toronto one time for us to teach RMTs how to do chair massage. But I was 17 and everybody was almost twice my age and looked at me like, how are you doing this? Anyways, it was really interesting. What's the age thing about then? Like when you say- It's the liability insurance. Ah. You have to be 18 to get liability insurance. Huh. The yeah. shit I don't know. So, <laughs> so like, you can you can graduate yeah. from a program at 16, 17, but you can't work because you're not old and enough. And if you're for fucking Doogie Howser, you'll do it at 12 and you're and you're screwed oh for a little goodness. bit of time. <laughs> so it was interesting. So we just worked in events doing golf tournaments. And so I was covered under his insurance. Um, yeah, so that's what we did. I started practicing then, and then I kept learning as, as until I could get to a certain point. And so basically, yeah, I, uh, 
Um, in Quebec, I ended up practicing in five different clinics. And then I found out that BC had a really extensive program. I was working in physiotherapy, rehabilitation clinics and multidisciplinary clinics and was realizing that the knowledge that I had wasn't sufficient. Right. I felt like I could hurt somebody or, you know, I just needed to know more, especially about injuries and especially just about. So let me pause everything. you for a second then. So you, I yeah. mean, you took the training that was available to you in Quebec enough yeah. that you were able to get liability insurance and get a job working in a physiotherapy clinic. In and Quebec. I assume mm-hmm. physiotherapists have the education behind them. Like I assume a physiotherapist in Quebec is similar to a physiotherapist in Ontario. So in, I just can't even understand how physiotherapists would want to employ massage therapists who didn't have like the anatomy and physiology and the, the background behind them. You know, I was a certified massage therapist and basically what you do is that you accumulate about a thousand hours and then you can become a massage therapist, like a certified massage therapist. Otherwise you're seen as a massage practitioner. So a thousand hours of education or a thousand hours of experience? Uh, of education. Yeah. So you accumulate techniques. And so we would, uh, so, you know, this, let's say mesokinesiotherapy or advanced Swedish would be 600 hours. Uh, basic Swedish would be 400 hours. Gotcha. And just by oh, okay. getting those to you. Yeah. So, but the great thing about that program or that way of the way that it was built is that in the morning you would do theory. And then in, in the every afternoon, every afternoon you did practice. And so basically we had 50, 50 knowledge with practice, which coming to BC, it was heavy, heavy on the knowledge factor and then a wee bit on the practice factor. So I thought that that was a very great skill or like a, I had this background that you was had really the advantage there. Yeah, we we just talked about this on which episode, Mark, we just talked about this, how maybe therapists don't get enough hands-on practice in, in places. Yes. Because even in Ontario, um, you know, our, our education is like top notch when it comes to massage therapy, like theory, as you said, like, you know, we understand pathology and physiology and we do, you know, neurology, but the hands-on portion we thought, should it be a little more extensive? Like our therapists coming out, maybe not really having the confidence with the techniques and what to do with their hands. And I mean, I know there's two schools of thought on this. Some people think techniques don't matter so much, but in this profession where our job is to be touching people and have our hands on people, the confidence in what you're doing with your hands, I think matters a lot. So you had an upper hand there where like you had been focusing on techniques and learning Swedish and all of these other things for so long that you just now needed the theory behind why you're doing what you're doing, when to do it, when it's indicated and what you're actually affecting in a person, right? Mm -hmm. And I do believe that there's a difference between techniques and hands-on ethics, in mm-hmm. some ways, I think they're they're a little bit different. And I think that, um, you know, sometimes when we focus a lot on the theory, we miss out on how to touch somebody safely, you know, and just a um, li- small example uh, in BC, there was not a lot of focus on you do not on losing contact of, of, with the person. And so in Quebec, they're like, you don't stop the contact with the person as much as least as possible because the person is trying to figure out where your hands are. Mm-hmm. And so we have oil hosters that are t- uh, attached to our hips. And so we're constantly hands-on, right? Contact as much as we can. In BC, I remember in my school, it might have, it's, it might be different, but the, uh, 
yeah, the bottle is on the ledge. And then, so you lose contact with the person and then you put the, the, um, the oil into your hands and then you go back to the person. So there's a lot of little tiny little things like that, that I think in Quebec, they were really, really strong in, um, and a little bit less in all of the big knowledge type programs, but that's my opinion. That's everybody's different. I'm not judging. It's just personally, I think it's important. So wait, you were in Quebec you finished all that stuff, and then you went to school again in BC? Yes. Did you have to do the whole program in BC? No. So this is the thing. This is the tricky thing. So okay. this is how hard this was, is that um, when I went there, they gave me an, uh, an exam, and they're like, oh, would you be able to fill the, uh, would you be able to do this exam? Which was basically the first, uh, an exam during first year that they just gave me. The, the dean of the school just to assess if I was able to right. transfer into the second year or not. Because okay. at that time, we were still a three-year program. This was in, 2000 to, in 2007. Can I pause you really quick? Yes, Did, absolutely. So um, is this because you could not sit for the licensing exam in BC because they did not accept your education in Quebec and then you had to go to school in Quebec or you didn't even bother. You're just like, I'm going to go to school in BC and get the stuff that I think I need. Yeah, that was it. Well, okay. there was two reasons. Okay. Um, the reason why I moved to BC is because I was curious and then I wanted to know more. And then the other part of it, it was, I was escaping a pretty terrible situation. And I woke up one morning and it was, I knew I had to move to BC. It was kind of a, a call to destiny almost in some ways. I just knew I had to do it. Mm -hmm. And I had some family in BC. And so, and I visited before and it's just an incredible place. It, everybody was so nice. You know, I <laughs> showed up at the pharmacy and this woman put her hand on my shoulder. Do you need help? Can I help you with something? <laughs> what you're speaking to me it was just incredible how nice people were and how beautiful the scenery is so i decided to move because BC's i had a, to it's a good place to escape to then eh? well if you feel called to it yeah of course mm -hmm. it's a hard place to live now though but that's a whole nother story <laughs> sorry okay tell me about the school thing yes and so um we i decided that i was going to move to the okanagan valley so that's pretty central uh, central BC is very, very hot in the summer. It's beautiful climate. And uh, so I went to OVCMT, which is the Okanagan Valley College of Massage Therapy. I met with the dean there and then we he was trying to assess if I could move into or get transferred into the second year of the program, as opposed to doing all three. And we decided that we that I could and so I did. And it was insanely difficult because I knew basically an introduction to what they already knew. Right. And I've never done any schooling in English. My first language, my first language was French, but I listened to every, all my entertainment was in English. Therefore I could imitate the sound of the language, the English language easy, but I wasn't understanding it as well, which is kind of the opposite of how things go sometimes in language. So I could speak it better than I would understand it. So it got really, really difficult. Um, to be honest, I wish I did take the full three year, but, uh, yeah, so that's how I ended up in BC and then graduated in 2009 and yeah, moved to Nelson, BC right after that, which is a small little wee town nestled in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and here you are. And here I am. So why don't we move into then how you ended up on the other side of our Zoom today. 
what uh, what brought you here today? What are we talking about? I mean, there's lots of things, mostly you, but what brought you here? Well, I'm curious because burnout prevention and self-care is a course that I teach at the RMT College here in Nelson. It's a fairly new college. And it seems to be a topic that a lot of people are wanting to talk about. And a lot of, and, and, and it's an experience, burnout is an experience that many, if not most RMTs that I know have gone through it in their own way. And so actually the reason why I contacted you is because I was curious to see what you thought about this. And so, and I thought that that would be also a kind of an interesting conversation to have um, with people from, you know, the East side of Ontario. Like, is this a topic that is a big hot topic? Well, I was experience that a lot of RMTs are. I was really happy that you did reach out to talk about it because I really, um, I really, appreciated your take on burnout. And I agree with a lot of it. So, um, you know, based on the conversation we had the other day, can we define for people what you feel is burnout in our profession? Yes. Okay. So to put it simply, I think it's when we just can't anymore. And it looks very different. It is taught and I remember being taught that burnout is, you know, take care of your wrists, otherwise your body's going to start um, hurting too much that you won't be able to practice anymore, like all the tendonitis and repetitive strain. Uh, although from talking to a lot of RMTs, I'm, I'm, it's pretty obvious that the mental and emotional aspect of burnout is what people are experiencing more before their physical body starts hurting. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's what I'm really curious about. Why is it that most of us go through it? And emotionally too, and mentally, what what's going on here, and where does it come from? I would be curious to I like I would I loved that you raised that question the other day because I was thinking you know after we had our discussion like I wonder if people even recognize that it is mental and emotional burnout. Remember, as I said to you, I feel like sometimes when you are feeling so mentally drained, of course it then affects your physical body, right? And I think a lot of people write it off as like, oh, well, I have a physical job. And so that's why like maybe my neck hurts. That's why, you know, I'm feeling like kind of fatigued because I treated all these people. And I'm, I'm wondering if there's a lot of people who don't even recognize that they're being mentally and emotionally drained in their job and are passing it off as like, oh, this is a physical job. And, you know, Mark and I have talked about this many, many times on the podcast that I don't think what we do is overly physical. Honestly, there's way more jobs that are way more physical than what we do. But we do have that aspect of we're dealing with people all the time and we're touching them. And because when you're a therapist and you've got the trust from your patients that we do, they unload everything on you. So you were taking on their mental shit, their emotional shit. And, you, you know, especially if you're a busy therapist, which, you know, we all want to be, then you're back to back to back to back to back dealing with a whole bunch of other people's crap. Well, here's the thing. Have you ever been in a circle of people, uh, whether it's like a sharing circle or a circle of friends, and then they all kind of share their stories or mm-hmm. share a common pain, and then you can you can relate to almost what everybody's saying. Yeah. So I think um, personally that we relate to our patients sometimes in what they're saying, and therefore sometimes get attached to their pain, and without realizing that that's what's happening, 
because it's mirroring our own pain and then our stuff comes up, but we don't know that it's coming up and we're not as great at, as, at receiving as we probably should. And so our stuff starts coming up to the surface and it shows up in different ways. It shows up in exhaustion. It shows up in us giving so much more than we can and us not respecting our own boundaries when it comes to our schedule or, um, I mean, there's all these different ways that we're not going to respect our own boundaries, right? But I think that it shows up in insidious ways. And then to a point where we just get so exhausted because life happens too, you know, like there's all these things get that can happen in our personal life. And then, and then we have to set that aside so much so that we can be fully present with somebody for somebody else, for them in our senses with them. Mm-hmm. So it's just like such a, a such a deep, deep way of being with ourselves and with another person for another person always. And I think that that's really hard on the nervous system, but we don't think it should be. And I think that that's the thing that's hard. It's like, I should be fine. You know, I, I work, I, I have a pretty cush work. I make, you know, pretty decent money. There's lovely music playing and people are so excited to see me and they're happy when they go. But why am I so exhausted right now? Yeah. I, and I don't know if you've ever heard, I've talked about this before, how one of the things that drew me into this profession was when I had a discussion with Mark and I was like, tell me about the career of massage therapy. Like, tell me what I can expect. And he said to me, I've got a sweet gig, man. Like I have the most stress-free life. I go to work. People are happy. Everything you just said, people are happy to see me. I'm affecting them in some positive way. They're, you know, they feel good when they leave me. I don't take work home with me. And so all of those things are what attracted me to it. And all of those things are still true, except for maybe taking things home with you. Maybe subconsciously, we were always taking things home. I don't know that I've ever really experienced burnout in this profession, but I know that it is happening. I've like yourself, I've talked to other therapists and now you're teaching a course in it. So obviously it's a thing. And I know Mark looks like he's got something important to say here. Nothing, nothing's ever important. I'm just processing all this. I can tell. Do you think the therapists just don't know how to deal with it? Do you think like, is it, is it, the answer is yes. Obviously we don't recognize it. If we can't recognize it, then we can't deal with it when it shows up. And then it blindsides you and you have no idea what the fuck's going on. And then all of a sudden so, you're burnt So out. is the idea that we're, we're teaching you how to recognize, be self-aware enough to understand what burnout means to you, mm-hmm. and then being able to recognize when that's happening, and then these are some coping strategies that you can use? Is that, is that where we're going with this? Yes. And I think we're not properly trained. To be honest, I don't think we're not, we're, you know, there's, we talk about communications and ethics and I loved Pam Fitch's um, podcast that you, uh, pa- the the podcast you had with her. I really mm-hmm. resonated so hard. I was gardening and like, yes, I understand completely. And honestly, I do think that our education needs has a big role to play in this because we're taught a little bit, we're taught about communication and ethics. We're talking about you know, transference and countertransference, but we're not taught how to handle that very well. You know, how that this is a human, you know, this just say notice and avoid, try not to go there. However, why is it happening is because it's a, it's a basic human nature and basic psychology in humans. And so how do we, 
we need to be trained in psychology 101, essentially, so that we can actually recognize when things are happening for us. Um, give us, like you said, Mark, coping strategies to go home with, because we can't start talking about our patients to our families or like how that affected us too much because that we do have to abide to client confidentiality. And so we need coping skills. We need to learn how to hold space for somebody without um, in a safe in a safe way, not just for our patients, but also for us. And yeah, because we tend to forget that we're also important in this. It's not just only about our patients, but it's about our capacity to be there for our patients. And so do you think other healthcare professions go through this kind of stuff? Like, do you think, do you think someone else that sees mm, like a nurse or ER doctor that has high volume, a high volume of traffic, do you think it's the same type of emotional burnout? Nurses, I might argue it's yes phys- it's physical or emotional I, um i mean both but i feel like nurses might get some of the emotional and mental burnout that we do because they do tend to spend more time and get to know their patients and get closer to them the doctors are there to save your life right right so i don't know that they might get the same i mean i'm not saying doctors don't get burnt out please don't interpret that no they but definitely they do. definitely <laughs> do but i feel like from the nurses that i know the nurses i've had on my table right I feel like they are also faced with patients who, um, you know, they need to be understand how to, as Julie said, hold space for their own emotional trauma that's going to come out during certain certain parts of their like evaluation or whatever. But one thing that Julie said is when she said we're not trained properly, you know, we do learn about, as she said, transference and counter transference and ethics and communication. But. You know, in school, when you're told, you know, you may have a patient cry on the table, you may be working on one area and suddenly they, you know, they start crying. That's sort of the extent of what we're told. We're not really taught then. What do we do? And I know the other day, Julie said in BC, they're more likely being encouraged like, you know, this is out of scope. So don't go there. But this is a human. So when you say don't go there, what are you supposed to do? Oh, you're crying. I'm, I'm just going to walk away from you now. So what's more important, understanding how to read a research article and what N value is and P values are or how to how to how to deal with a client? I think it's they're both as important in some ways, but definitely the client is so important to learn about like actual human ship, like what it, what it's like to be a human psychology of a human, how what makes us tick and what breaks us up. Uh, what makes it that we break apart? I think it's important that we learn about trauma. Like they don't talk about um, that a trauma release looks like tremoring on the table. They don't talk about that. They don't talk about how the body takes almost a physical picture of itself when during a very traumatic environment, during a traumatic um, experience, they don't talk how to recognize trauma on our table or even during a conversation with our patients. Like how can we recognize the trauma in our body? And so this was, this was, you know, what really got me into this was um, other curious question, not just about burnout, but how do you self-care? So this was uh, at this time of my, can I share this story about a little bit of what brought me there? Absolutely. Of course you can. Okay, great. So it was um, at that time, my son was an infant going into toddler. He was about a year or two old. Um, I had already started a health center, a little health center in Nelson. And at that point, close to that point, my business partner had left the business. And so I was operating it all on my own, operating my 
uh, massage clinic and going through some major upheaval with my child's father and plus raising a toddler infant. It's pretty, it's pretty full on because as many parents know at that age, sometimes babies don't sleep at all. And so I was incredibly sleep deprived and really trying so hard to stay healthy. And so I was, um, taking baths every day, exercising almost on the daily, uh, eating really well. Um, you know, doing all the things that people say self-care is. She put that in air quotes, by the way, right? Doing all the things, eating well, drinking water, sleeping, taking care of yourself, right? Sounds yeah. like you were doing a great job. Yeah, but I was seriously falling apart. <laughs> and I had a friend of mine, I was like, Julie, you need to take better care of yourself. And I flipped out. I was like, what do you mean by that? I am. But what is that? So I, it just launched me into this this um, question of like, what does it really mean to take care of us? I mean, I was even seeing counselor every week. I was working with plant medicine every, all, uh, like every month in a very, very well held circle with psychotherapists. And so it was, I was, I was doing all the things. And so really what I, I mean, the journey, I don't know if it ever really ends, but I discovered that self-care really means building a relationship with ourselves and caring, uh, caring enough, it, sorry, caring enough for ourselves, just in a way that you'd be curious about how your child likes this or how your child reacts to this. And what does your child need or your animal? If you don't have children, you know, what it, it's to bring a sense of curiosity towards our own selves so that we can build a relationship with ourselves so that we can recognize when there is a need and know what we can do to fill that need or to, I wouldn't say fill it, but to meet that need. And yeah. And then with, by doing that, that's like the, you know, using the tools to meet our needs, but with a tone of curiosity, kindness, and mercy, because we can be so, 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 so hard on ourselves. Right. And so by bringing, bringing a bit of a sense of like mercy to our own inner voice and how we can treat ourselves. It can really, I mean, that even took me years to understand what does mercy even mean towards ourselves. And so, I don't know, I've been, try, I've been practicing that and trying to, and it's a practice. It's not something that you can just do. And all of a sudden you're good at taking care of yourself. It's a practice of like constantly coming back to ourselves and being like, okay, so. All right, know, I've got okay. a couple of questions, but I want to see yeah. if Mark has any first because oh, okay. he, uh, yeah. Okay. So I do want to come back to what having mercy with yourself means. So I'm going to use an example. Mm -hmm. um, I like to think that I'm relatively self-aware that I like listen to, you know, what I need and what's going on. And I, you know, I, I'd like to think that I try to focus on making sure that I can function optimally for myself, for my kids, for my businesses, and make sure that I'm not overextending myself in any way. So sometimes that does mean certain things have to give. The The problem I have is finding this, this, this fine line that I think exists between like, you know, setting healthy boundaries, but then I don't know how to say this other than like, stop being a big fucking baby. Okay. So okay. like, it's, there's sometimes where I look at myself and I'm like, I feel I need a break. But then the other side of me is going like, you're being a bit of a baby. Like these things need to get done. And if you get these things done, this is, you know, this is what you're going to get out of it. And this is a good thing. And you need this and you need to finish. And so there's sometimes where I'm like, am I, am I 
being too much of a baby or by not doing things? Am I then not honoring my own? Ba- I, I don't, you know, do you understand what I'm oh, trying to say here? I know like exactly this line of like, am I being whiny Yeah. or do I really, really need to take that, a break now? See, then, then, then this to me, and I don't know anything, but this to me sounds like we need to just, we need to, we need to work on the self-awareness a little bit more. That way you can, you can you can lay this down. This is the category that this falls in. Like for example, like when you were talking about the whole thing with you doing all of these quote unquote healthy things, and your and your friends like take care better care of yourself. You're like I'm doing all this stuff. Like for example, I know me so bloody well that I have a lot of habits and behaviors that I need to have there. Or I don't feel complete or right or or proper, and someone else looks at at that and says, "You are acting so strange. You're unhealthy. Your habits are just." But for me, that's how that's how it works for me. So, for example, do I work an excessive amount? Yes, but the sense of accomplishment that I get from completing tasks at work, like that 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 lights me up so much. Like that's part of me being aware enough to know like, yeah, I'm working more than the average person right now. And the, I'm average, feel so and the good. average person would tell me, slow down, that's not healthy. But I need that feeling of accomplishment for me to feel right inside. Do you see what I'm saying? So I think it comes a lot with that whole self-awareness. And it took a lot of time for me to become that self-aware. And part of me becoming that self-aware was not listening to fucking anybody else trying to tell me what I should and shouldn't be like. You just just got like a a hallelujah behind you. You didn't even (laughs) see it. Like her arms flailed up in the air. You got like an amen, sister. true because here's the thing this is what this is what pisses me off the most is because everybody likes to think that they know what you need Mm -hmm. yeah and everybody has the key to self-care and healthy living and yeah including us as rmts we think that we know what our clients needs so that was this is this is the thing this is like Uh, I don't know. There's a little bit, there's a little juicy part in that, that like means that that's why I think I had to really learn what that, what self-care means to me. So I can like offer the space for my patients to regain sovereignty on their own health, as opposed to then coming to see me and be like, please help me. I don't know anything. I don't know anything about my body. I'm like, here's, here's some education. Like, this is some knowledge about who you are. These are resources about your anatomy, physiology, like look up, like get to learn about pain science and gain sovereignty over yourself, learn who you are and become more self-aware because this whole like simple steps to overcoming burnout, this is what, um, this is what you need to do to self-care doesn't work a lot of the time because everybody's so unique. Everybody mm-hmm. has different things that make you, that make them tick. And I love that you said that, Mark, that you need to like a, to get that sense of accomplishment, that sense of, you know, moving forward in life. It sounds like you're in a mission. You have to do that for yourself. Right. That's so, awesome. so such so a for happier me, person when that happens. Right. So for me, yeah. that's a big part of self-care is time management. Yeah. It's how can yeah. I still go achieve all of these things and still yeah. put in all the hours that all of these things take they require but do it in a way that i can still i can still do all the stuff and be present and blah 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 blah. so for me i recognize that my biggest part of self-care isn't you work too much isn't you spend too much time on this it's more 
how do I manage the time better that I can exactly. still do all of the stuff? And that yeah. just took a long time for me to come up with. Yeah. And so for me, as I said, this this line that sometimes I still have a, a problem with, I will I'll get to my second question. I'll let you know about a, a victory that happened within the last two years that, you know, moving more towards self-awareness. But this line, a lot of it probably does come from the fact that I live with a person whose definition of self-care is exactly, it's time management and accomplishment. I feel that because I also get, you know, such a sense of like relief and happiness when things get done. And I'm not the person that likes things to get pushed to the back burner. You know, like I want to simultaneously have the clean house, be at all my kids. Event. Well, you know, Julie, we moved our podcast recording up half an hour today because I'm like, I got to go watch a bike parade this afternoon because my kid will cry if I'm not there. So like, I want to be able to do all the things and like I said, sometimes I, I can't recognize like, am I overextending myself or like, and, and anyway, so I, I know I definitely need to work on that area. But one of the things that I recognized about myself in terms of self care, so I like that, you know, we're defining it for ourselves, is for me, it's actually checking my attitude about certain things. Like sometimes right. when I am feeling like, am I doing too much? Am I overextending? It's more like, am I, is my dreading this one thing? Thing I have to do or this one aspect of my life is my attitude towards it the problem and if I just looked at it as another thing that I have to do in my day would it make it better and I've worked on that a lot of changing my own mindset about certain things where I, I know it sounds like okay how do you really do that but it's literally has been as simple for me as like okay this is these are the list of things I have to do today I'm going to do it and not dreading it, not stressing about something that hasn't even come up yet. You know, I had a friend message me the other day. Oh my goodness, because she, she has a newborn baby. He starts freaking out. His witching hour starts at 5 p.m. every day. She goes, I spend the whole day stressing about it. And I'm like, so you're ruining your whole day? You have until 5 p.m. with a happy baby and you're stressing the whole day. How is that helping you? And it's that's been sort of like the mentality for me is not stressing about things like that haven't even happened yet or that I have to right. do just doing things one by one and getting stuff done and checking them off and not worrying about like, Oh, tomorrow I have such a long day. Okay. I have such a long day tomorrow, but I'm just going to go and do things one by one. But yes, I, I think um, Mark kind of hit the nail on the head with the whole, like you can't tell somebody what is going to be self-care for them? Because as I said, I've I've recognized I have to stop telling Mark to slow down because he's actually a happier person when he gets all the things accomplished and then he will take like a three-day break. And when I'm talking like he does nothing, he'll do nothing for three days. He will put his feet up and be like, I finished so much shit, I can put my feet Everything up for three days. Everything to me is on the reward system, right? Yeah. I finished doing what I gotta do and then I reward myself with that with that do nothing thing. So that's the, but, but that's all. I roll so to me yeah. that's it but I I'm I, I I I can't stress it enough just get rid of what all the other people fucking tell you yeah right so for example <laughs> there are family members that I've completely cut out of my life against what a lot of other people would suggest I do because they're family members and family family and I'm like you don't understand the stress and anxiety that I would get 
surrounding certain family members and therefore having to go to certain family functions and do this and do that. And it just totally fucking wrecks me that I would rather cut that off. And I've been the happiest motherfucker since I've decided to do that kind of stuff. But the only reason why I kept doing it, like I wish I did it sooner, but the only reason why I didn't do it sooner is because I listened to everybody else. I listened to my mother saying, this is what you should be doing. It's family. My father, this is what you should be doing. It's family. This person, this is what you should be. And I'm like, you guys don't fucking get it though. Like the amount of the amount of burnout or stress or anxiety that that would bring me, I'd much rather not have that person in my life than to have to deal with this thing over and over and over. Mm-hmm. But again, it almost requires you to become like a rebel in some way, where you're like, I'm not listening to this, I'm not listening to that, and I have to like. It's like becoming a re- like rebellious with your own self awareness, and um, it takes a lot of like. Do listening and then just like filtering and discerning. I think discernment is a really good word of like, this is good. This is not good for me or this. I'll put it aside because this is, this is going to be good eventually, but I need this right now. And so I think it's, I think, um, I think now of self-care as more self-management mm. in some ways, like you said, like energy, energy, man- uh, sorry, time management. I like to think also like there's time management, there's energy management. And when it comes to like managing our practice, Right. Because it's like, I met this RMT Nelson. She just blew me away. She has her entire year booked. And so I was like, how do you do that? You know, how do you, how do you manage that? And she books, she's seeing six people a day, I think. Um, I don't know how many days a week, but she has figured how to manage her calendar so well that she has two days a month that are her cancellation days. So if people have to cancel or reschedule, she has that open. If nobody books those, then she has time off. Mm -hmm. She has two months off during the year. It's just absolutely wonderful what she's doing. And she, she was talking to me about energy leaks in some ways. I was like, but what would you mean by that? And she's like, well, you know, when you see somebody in the the hallway or when, you know, she was working in a multidisciplinary clinic, she wouldn't really go and talk to everybody because that meant that she had to go and, you know, entertain a conversation, hold space for that conversation to happen. And that's like energy that she's not leaking in a bad way, but that, that was her perspective. Um, I love talking to people and connecting with, you know, just saying hi. And for me, connection is really important, but I did see that the, the, for me, the less that I did that or like contained it, just said hi and continued my way. Then that's a little bit less, that's more energy left for me. And so um, I found that um, with the sleep deprivation that my son, uh, that I was having with my boy um, and just the stresses of life, I really needed to hone in on my energy. Plus, like, I think my, just my health wise, I really struggled with energy for a really long time. And so I really needed to hone that in. It was really important. And so what do I need to do? And like you said, like, okay, I have a, I have a massive massage day tomorrow as, as opposed to dreading it, like you said, Amanda, what's the mindset? Like what mindset would be more mm, supportive for me mm-hmm. for tomorrow? And so, okay, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to go to sleep a little bit earlier. I'm going to make sure that I have my, I personally love athletic greens. It's changed my life. I'm it's, there's no advertising. It's a, a nutritional powder that has been amazing for me. Um, and so I take that, I make sure that my nutrition is on point for that day. And, um, I don't 
work too deeply with those clients and just, you know, just this little tiny little tweaks so that I can manage my day better. I'd pack a um, lot of snacks. <laughs> there you go. See, do what you got to do to adapt. As essentially, this is the best part of humans is that we're adaptable. Yeah. And so we we got to remember that it doesn't for me I'm not a I'm not a routine kind of person. I'm just so free flowing and kind of just I move with the tides really well. And so yeah, that's how I am. So having a routine doesn't work for me. A morning routine doesn't really work because it changes no. all the time. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a routine person either. And it's interesting it exactly as Mark said, stop listening to the people. The number of times I stop listening to the people. Well, I I stay up far too late. Like I will be the first to admit that because I I love nighttime. I do. I love everything about nighttime. I love when things get quiet. I love like the time where I know like that, you know, no children are going to come ask me 7000 questions. I love nighttime so much that I don't want to go to sleep early because it takes away from like one of the times of the day that's just so peaceful for me. So I stay up way too late. But then, of course, I'm up relatively early because I have small children. So some would argue that maybe I don't get enough sleep. And I cannot tell you, Julie, the number of people who have said to me, you need to have the same bedtime and the same wake up time every day. And you need to have a routine before you go to bed to wind down and this and that. And I was like, why? Like, I've tried doing all those things. I've tried, you know, setting my alarm and getting up at the same time every day. I've but you don't I mean, me personally, I don't feel the same every day. Sometimes I pop out of bed with all the energy in the world. And then there's days like yesterday where I didn't get out of bed until 930. That happens maybe twice a year. But I needed it yesterday. I needed sleep. My body was saying you're not ready to get up. And I didn't have anywhere to be really early in the morning. So Perfect. I stayed in bed until 930. And yeah. for some people, it's like, what are you doing that's going to throw you off? And no, I felt fucking great. I felt fucking great yesterday. Um, but I remember getting up and I looked at Mark and I'm like, holy shit, it's 930. He's like, you got somewhere to be? I'm like, no, I don't. He's like, well, then. Well, then. And it was fantastic. But no, I've never had a nighttime routine. Like I don't, you know, wash my face and do this and then read a book and meditate. I don't do any of those things. I go to bed when I feel like, okay, it's time to go to bed now. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes when I feel tired that day, I'll just practice non- um, non-sleep deep rest. So I'll just in between patients. What I started doing is I started seeing them uh, half an hour in between. Mm -hmm. I said half an hour in between patients so I can eat because I don't book a lunch break ever, but I don't have time to eat in between patients if it's only 20 minutes between. Right. And I don't have time to properly chart and I don't have time to have like a five minute lay down on the table if I need to. Right. So I'll do that between patients. If I have like six or seven people during the day, I'll just take a minute, like literally five minutes to just lay down and close my eyes. And I feel so much better. So I don't know if that's what you need or not. Um, that's not what I'm saying, but it's just, you know, little tips and tricks. Um, yeah. I've been digging learning about um, neuroscience quite a bit lately and just learning about how to navigate stress and how, you know, learning about the science of things and like how uh, our physiology works and our neuro biology, Rick, so that I can use that as leverage to take care of myself and to know what I can leverage when I need what. It's pretty, it's pretty neat. Yeah, absolutely. So for people listening, because, you know, we've talked about the fact that self-care is going to look different for different people. Um, you know, Mark brought up and yourself brought up the self-awareness piece and really trying to understand what you need. Um, actually, can we go back? What does it mean to have mercy 
for yourself. <laughs> I did say I was going to come back and ask you that. What do, what does that mean? Okay. Uh, I'll use an example for this. Uh, <laughs> so maybe I, I'm sorry if this is going to aggravate anybody, but it's, you know, and, and I'm speaking, uh, to my experience. So, you know, when we have, we go and have a bath. Okay. So let's say there's like going, have a bath and I'm in the bath and I noticed this one time and I was just like, Oh, my body, like, I really need to just you know, do exercises so I can look different. And like, I don't like this about myself. And, and then just like going off into all these self defeating is not even the like violent thoughts about myself almost, you know, and that I know is a result of trauma. That's just how my mind has learned to, I don't know, cope with certain things. And I just need to learn. I needed to learn how to be, how to, how to be gentle with my own mind that can be so mean, mm-hmm. you know, that inner voice that can just be so terrible and so defeating and not in any way supportive yep. to you. And, but the mercy piece understands that that is not a bad thing and that I needed to, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you see movies and um, war movies or superhero movies where the villain is just on the ground and almost defeated. And then the superhero comes and they're like, please give me mercy. That's ultimately what it is. It's like, and then the superhero can come in and be like, yes, now you can, I'm not, I'm not going to defeat you do something else, do something good with it, you know, as opposed to like, Ha, I got you. And now I splice your head. Like that's, that's <laughs> not, but that's what we do with ourselves. Like you said, like, I should, like, am I, I should be resting when, um, I don't know. I, I, there's all these, there's like such a vast spectrum of examples, but what I mean by bringing mercy is to recognize the places within us that can be so hurt. They can be so hurt that they hurt us back. Mm-hmm. And, and to bring kindness and mercy would be to almost like take that place within our, within our hearts or psyche and spirit and just like hold it and yeah. see that it is not, yeah, it just needs love. And that's the mercy part. I think people need to remember too, when you love something, you're going to take care of it. When you, when you hate something, that's when you abuse it, you neglect it. So when it comes to, you know, use the example of your body, you can maybe not love and accept every single part of your body all the time. Like that is okay. I think this is what you're saying. Like it is okay to sometimes look in the mirror and be like, like, you know, not be 100% satisfied, but to hate something so much, that's that's where there's going to be harm to you. You have to still like have love for your body so that you take care of it. And eventually then it it might, you might start looking at yourself in a different way because you're taking care of yourself. But if you hate it so much, it's going to get neglected. You're not going to, and it's just going to be this vicious spiral of exactly. hate and neglect and nothing good is going to come out of it. So that's what you meant by giving mercy. So for other people listening, being that self-care can look so different for people, is there like really a takeaway, you know, specifically for therapists when it comes to treating patients and, you know, how do you recognize when you might be potentially mentally and emotionally burning out and how do you figure out what you need? How do you figure out how to take care of yourself? Well, ain't that the question? Well, ain't it? Well, so... (laughs) 
Carl Jung said that every every session with a person is an opportunity to look back at ourselves. And so I took that pretty seriously. He, you know, he wrote or he conceptualized the uh, the the archetypes of the psyche. And I just want to say first off that I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a counselor. And um I have minimal training. I have some, but minimal training in psychology. And I don't claim to know this. It's just my experience in my learnings Mm -hmm. essentially is what I'm sharing. So take it or leave it. um, And maybe explore on your own. Don't take my word for anything, but just use it as an exploration. But what I've, ex- I've been exploring the concept of the archetype of the wounded healer, because that's what we are, right? We're in the healing industry or health industry. And so I really, I took it to heart and um, learning that we have chosen to become massage therapists for a reason. And I learned 10 years after I started my career that I was actually really afraid of being touched. It's interesting. I was getting a massage at a party from a friend. And then I realized that every time this person was going to put their hands on me, I, I would like flinch or brace is the best word. And then I, I started looking back at every time that somebody comes in and gives me a hug, I would brace. And so I chose subconsciously massage therapy as a way to heal my, uh, to heal myself in some ways, or that's the modality that I needed to be able to, um, or the best, how can I word this? The best modality for my own healing, I guess, is through massage therapy. And so that's why I chose to give it. So um, yeah, in terms to answer your question, I don't know if there's a straight answer to that, but as as Mark said, self-awareness is the key. And so learning how to listen to yourself and becoming more objective with yourself So like, oh, I'm noticing that I'm saying this about myself. Like, what do I need now? Or like when you're feeling tired, are you aware enough about yourself to notice that you're tired? And like, how can you give that to yourself? It's, it's simple and complicated all at once. It's kind of a paradox that Mm -hmm. way. So how did you do it, Mark? How did you become so self-aware that you know yourself so well? Why do you say it like that? (laughs) (laughs) So self-aware. How, like, how did this start for you like did you just one day realize like hey I don't function well like this I function well like this like when did this start where you decided to stop listening to what everybody said was good for you and you just start doing what you felt was good for you because Mm -hmm. I real at some point and I wish I can remember when I realized what people tell me that I should be doing to make myself feel better wasn't wasn't working like the opposites were happening like i would do something and then i'd feel really great about that and it would put me in a good place and then that's a behavior or habit or something that someone would put in the category of you should stop doing that and it's it's that what like but this works for me and you're telling me don't do this like that doesn't make sense can i give an example for people listening because i mean i've known him for a long time one example is Mark doesn't eat very often. No. Like majority of people. I was intermittent fasting before it became cool. Right. So majority <laughs> of people like probably eat, you know, two to three times a day at a minimum, I right? Like, is that is that fair to say? Majority of people, majority. they'll get up, they'll have breakfast. Maybe they'll eat either a snack or lunch midday. Maybe there's some kind of dinner. If Mark does that, 
if he eats three meals in a day, like I, I don't fucking I eat. I eat a lot. Like every couple of hours, I'm like, I need, like Mark will even recognize. He's like, you haven't eaten in a couple hours, eh? Like you're acting weird. We need to get you some food. And I need that. But that's, that's me. That's my body. And for years and years and years, and still people do it. People try to push food on him. And finally, like I started kind of standing up for him too. I'm like, the guy only eats once a day. And he feels good when he eats once a and day. And actually, can feel we just worse. leave him alone? I feel worse when when uh, when I'm eating several times a day. Yeah, right. Like like all of those little pieces of the experience, uh, my my own experience, and I just kind of I kind of bag it all, and then I it allows me to understand myself a little bit better. And then, like I said before, I just kind of cut to shit with what everyone else is telling me, and I use my own self as an experiment, and I go from there. In other words, I define what burnout is for me. I define that stuff for me, and then and then I go from there but that's all it is really it's just being very mindful of what am i doing what's the result what am i doing what's the result this worked out well for me in terms of how i feel and how i operate cool i'm gonna put i'm gonna keep this one a little bit and see what happens i'm gonna experiment with it more this one is proving over and over and over and over to land me in a spot where i don't want to be let me cut it out. Let me cut it out. Mm. Like that family member. Let me just cut it out because it landed me in a spot over and over and over of where I don't want to be, you know? And so you can use that analogy to put towards any type of habit or behavior. And yeah. I just got rid of it. So what about, you know, Julie said that she's putting 30 minutes between clients. By the way, I started doing that almost out of necessity at the, be you know, when I first came back to work after lockdowns, because I thought, oh, you know, just in case things are going to take longer, I actually realized... I was cleaning pretty much the same prior to being forced to. So I actually didn't need the 30 minutes, but I grew to love it. So I, I realized I'm going to keep that. So I was going to ask Mark because we work very this differently that way. So this is such a great example. I, like Julie, feel like I like the 30 minutes because I want some time to sit down and rest for a little Love bit, you. maybe have some water, maybe have a snack. If Mark has too much time between things, then he's fucking miserable because yep. now he doesn't want to go do things again. So I was going to ask you that when it comes to burnout with patients, what worked for you to make sure you weren't burning out when you were treating eight plus people a day? I, I, want, I wanted to be in pure work mode and never turn off. And when I turn off is when I'm going home. And that's it. So I would rather walk in there at nine o'clock and have 10 minutes between patients or 15 minutes between patients, enough for me to set everything up and take and do my notes and blah, blah. So as soon as that's done, the next person's in. Like, that's how I prefer it. Yep. If I had time between, forget it. Like, that's, and again, this is where you get to know yourself and where, what, what is your, what's your MO? What's your mode of operation going to be all about, right? And so, again, it comes from experimenting along with it, keeping what works and just discarding things that proving are not to work over and over and over again and then by time you got by time you end up being an old fucking guy like i am you kind of have it you kind of have it down i really love how you said that i think the key mark that you just said is exploration yeah it's exper experimentation and exploration this i love tim ferris for that because he just explored and experimented and there's a lot of different people that i listen to that i've been following that do that they just experiment and that's and, and like if you keep that like that i or that um, intention of exploring and experimenting, then you get to be a little bit more objective. And then you get to actually, it, it's less, uh, less in, uh, you're less invested into it because you're like, eh, that doesn't work. Okay, let's yeah. move on and try like, something. Else. And it's playful that way. You exactly. can also be like, this is a thing that I had to learn. Okay, so this is like my journey where I'm at right now. 
Oh, and I have a question for you, Mark, but we'll go back to that. Um, I'm learning how to play. I've been like so career focused and that's been awesome, but I live in the mountains. I've never been on a hike here, which is like kind of a funny thing. And I that, that, was, that was like just shocking to me to hear that. I know, I'm like, what? I know. What? <laughs> I know. Because all I do is work and take, so take care of my patients, take care of my family and clean the house. Cause that's all I had time to do. And then COVID happened and COVID was a blessing for me. I'm not sure if it was for you. I was able to sleep for months and actually recuperate, but that's a whole nother story. Um, but yeah, this summer I decided to just bring my schedule down to three days a week, fill up my days. And then the rest of the time I'm not taking patients. And that's like, I need to train myself not to do that because I work from home now. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to the beach now and I'm hanging out with my kid and we're playing like I'm learning three sports right now. And so it's 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 like that was this is the part of my journey. Like a year ago was sleep. I needed to sleep. I needed to not exercise. I needed to eat junk food and I needed to sleep. (laughs) And that's what I needed to do. And I had to like release the what I need to be eating well and I need to be exercising. But my body's like, "Uh -uh, you're just going to sleep 13 hours a night for months and do that. And then the year before that was exercise. I need to learn all this stuff about fitness. And so it's just like, it's a different, there's like phases too in our care sometimes, but that's just my experience. But Mark, I'm curious to see like how many um, you're taking, like, let's say seven or eight people a day. Like, are you doing that every day of the week? Like, how's your schedule? Well, I don't do that now. Like when I, when I was treating, I used to treat like that, like crazy. And I would work like six, five, six days a week. Yeah. Right. Because like I, I, I got these modes where when I'm working, I want, I want to work, and that's all there is to it, you know. And I'm happy doing that, like the, that. And I didn't feel like, oh, this was too much mentally or physically. But that's just me, right? Because I, when mm-hmm. I'm in work mode, like the, when the switch is on, the switch is on. But when the switch is off, the switch is fucking off. off. Like it's off completely, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's why the brakes didn't work. So no, like, not even just the brakes. Like even even if I if I start my day too late, forget it. It's done. I don't want to do a bloody oh thing. Oh my like, goodness! I, the misery. I, I, need, I the get misery. I, oh yeah, I get up, <laughs> and if I, if I don't start doing what I need to do, like early enough in the day. By early enough in the day, meaning like eight thirty, nine o'clock. I'm I'm out and I'm doing what I need. Not even out, but I'm just doing what I need to do. If it rolls into nine thirty, ten o'clock, I'm like, oh, the day's fucking done. Oh my I'm not going to do anything. Let me let me <laughs> let me walk you through a morning at our house because it's pretty funny. Because again, we are very and we're we're learning that we're really different. We're like, I have to stop putting my beliefs about things on him. And he also has realized he has to like be a little bit standoffish with me because like I have to do I have to do things in my way. So like a morning at our house, as I said, I love the night which has somehow translated into I'm not I'm not a morning person not that I don't get up I get up but I'm not the person like Mark that needs to be like starting to be productive the minute he gets up so like sometimes he'll get up at six and he will immediately go and sit at our dining room table and open the laptop and start working for me that's like mind-blowing how he can do that sometimes it's 3 30 and exactly (laughs) and for me it's like when I wake up like when I'm ready to get out of bed I like slowly I'll go to the washroom I'll wash my face I'll put my contacts in I'll come out I'll sit and hang out with my kids for a little bit I'm still in my pajamas I sometimes might even add an extra layer of a robe and like lay in the corner of the couch and watch cartoons with them for 20 minutes then I go and make a coffee and then I sit and slowly sip my coffee and like as I'm drinking my coffee I might get up and like oh I'm gonna put this load of wash in and now I'm going to sit back down. I'm going to do by the time I actually get moving where I'm ready to go for the day and do stuff, it's usually like 10 o'clock in the morning. 
And for Mark, if that if he were to do that, he would lose his mind. By 10 o'clock, he has worked more than most people have that in the whole day. That could be done in the day. Like it's unreal. But that's why I love. But like, I am very our- productive. But I, I get productive from like midday on so See, like i can do a ton of work that's why in the afternoon that's why i evening. love like our youngest wakes up really early oh yeah so does. it's fucking fabulous because she wakes up early i'm up early and, and so it turns into like i'm at the, i'm at the table on my laptop and then she's either there like watching some cartoons or like playing lego and we just hang out and talk while i'm working and while she's playing and it's great she gets a whole freaking play time in and i get like a day's worth of work done before, before the two of us get, get up. gets up it's fucking great see this is why i love having these conversations with people about self-care and burnout because I always find out all the things that other people are doing for themselves yeah. and how they're operating and how they're conducting their lives. And it's so unique and it, it's it's inspiring. I'm like, right. And then there's this thing. And then I'm not alone, like needing an hour or two um, in the morning. And then, you know, it's really neat because I don't know. I think everybody is so unique, but at the same time, it's kind of inspiring to have these conversations so that other people can realize that they're not alone mm-hmm. in that, like yeah. that they're not alone, like needing to be up at six in the morning, doing being productive. And then that they're not alone needing two hours in the morning to get ready. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't know. I think it's rad. Like I moved my business to my house. I invested a hundred grand, tore my whole base, 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 bleh, basement apart and rebuilt. I basically moved my practice and turned my house into a sanctuary at my house. And that was like a major part of everything for my burnout, uh, like rehab was like, I needed to change the environment that I was working in. And so in a big way, because I wanted to start teaching, I want to do these podcasts. I, I like what you are doing is something that is like the, the evolution of where my business is going right. in my own way. Right. And so, but I couldn't do that in the massage space that I was working at. And so I just, through COVID, just tore everything apart, rebuilt. And now I get to do whatever I need to do in the morning before 11 for myself and for a different part of my business. And then I work and then I hang out with my son after school and then I work in the evening and then I go put my kid to bed and then I do whatever I need. So it's it's like my my schedule is broken up in all these different patches. But and it works, that for, works you. for me. Yep. It works for me. I love it. It's actually because it's not like for me personally, it makes it that Oh, that goes into a whole nother part. Okay. I needed to learn that I am not all a massage therapist. Like my identity is not just that. Mm-hmm. So that's why the play needed to come into play because I, because I started so young and now I'm 35. So I've been literally massaging for half my life, which meant that, that I grew so into wild. Like I, know, a therapist. <laughs> I mean, you're younger <laughs> than both of us and you have been massaging for longer than about the same as Mark, but oh my God, like you've actually been treating for more than half your life. That is wild. (laughs) It's wild. I look back, I'm like, wow, this is nuts. But the thing is like, I don't, I've never had my twenties because as soon as I could have, I got pregnant. And then, so it's just all been about career. And so my identity was so enmeshed with massage therapy that not just massage therapy, but helping people. Right. So that like, I was giving a lot of unsolicited health advice to a point that people didn't want to hang out with me anymore. You know, it was, it was like <laughs> I had to get, you know, keep that in check a little bit. I and can so, see like, that how that can happen bad. as a young therapist. Cause you ever, you ever meet like a kid fresh out of university or fresh out of college. Cause they think they know everything. So they want to like teach you how to live. And you're like, you're 20. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, what helped me with, with, with all of that stuff. 
What's was that? and you kind of you kind of you kind of made me think about it is the physical environment like mm. my having my identity wrapped up into massage therapy so much is different it feels different because of the physical environment that I do the stuff in right when I didn't have my own space and I was teaching at a college and I was going to other people's clinics and yes my identity was very much massage therapist massage therapy educator it felt very different and it felt a little bit more demanding now that uh, we have our own office our own physical space the way we want like this room here that we're sitting in is like is is it's like my basement right actually this probably stuff is a lot of stuff that like i most used to of have this stuff came from when our had, apartment when when <laughs> one i was a bachelor and i had my own place and then when we had our place and then blah 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 and then we just moved a lot of the stuff in here and that this physical environment helps me feel a little bit better about like the identity being the massage therapist and it helps me it helps me cool 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 on that a little bit and that's a really important thing for me. If I always feel like I'm in this one space, not one space, but this one type of space, then I go bonkers. But having this to come to is a big is a big thing for me. And, and again, these are the things that along the way that I've you discovered, learned. and not just that, but like I've 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 been really I've I've put in an effort to 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 really understand the environment to understand myself in this so it took a little bit of time for me to go why do i really enjoy coming here so much and doing so much more than i've ever done before but it doesn't feel like i'm doing so much more stuff and i had to sit back i had to sit back and look around the room and go oh this is fucking why because if i was in a different room this would feel fucking torturous but i'm doing the exact same shit but I'm doing it here. Environment makes a huge massive. difference. And I would have never thought Well, that. and you've incorporated play. You know, as Julie said, she's oh, learning yeah. sports. Mark's brought some of his instruments here. So like, well, there's, I'm staring at two guitars right <laughs> now. His drumsticks are here. His drums. drums are in the other room. <laughs> so like, you know, he will take 45 minutes out of the day and like, play guitar or bang on the drums or what I mean our neighbors probably fucking love us but he will do this to just get some enjoyment out of the day it re-energizes him and he'll go back to work I did want to say something that I forgot to mention earlier when we were talking about you know like the whole um figuring out what you need for self-care and whatever I think a lot of the th I think one of the things that blocks people from really being able to fully understand that and take care of themselves um, is exactly what I was saying where I, I would question myself am I being a whiny baby because I live with somebody who mm. works like a machine and it's these un these expectations or this unrealistic thought of like what you're supposed to be like <laughs> and it creates yeah. guilt right so you know as Big you're time. saying listening to other people of like this is how you take care of yourself and this is how you should work and and this and this and this and this make your when, own metrics when if you just yeah if you just figure out what what has to be done because i mean like let's be honest as we're saying this we're not saying you know life is all sunshine and rainbows and whatever hard work goes into everything but when you figure out what has to be done learn how to manage your time and learn how that works for you the mode in which you work best even if it's something unorthodox like mark who gets up at three o'clock in the morning sometimes to edit a podcast hey man if that works for him I like I no longer say a thing. There used to be a time where I'd say to him, it's three o'clock in the fucking morning. You need to sleep. Who am I to tell him he needs to sleep? He can listen to his own body. And if three o'clock in the morning editing works for him and he's not feeling any kind of ways about it. But see, I would be. I'm still at that point where 
I feel guilt. I feel guilt when I feel like, you know, it's 9am and I haven't done anything yet. And I'll even sometimes say to him like, oh man, I know I have all these things to do today. Don't worry, it's going to get done. And he literally will say to me like, why are you even apologizing to me? Like, <laughs> I know you will get your shit done and we just work differently. But it's like, I still have this ex- this expectation in my mind that he's not putting on me but that i feel like you know society's putting on me or someone's putting on me but i'm putting it on myself once you become at least the way i see it for me this works for me once i've become this self-aware i don't even get bothered by shit now this doesn't mean i don't get angry i don't get upset i don't get frustrated i do all of that stuff but that is just part of it and I accept that and it's it's never the overall picture. So I might get up at three in the morning and do something. I might even look at my schedule and go, I fucking don't want to do any of this. I don't want to do it, blah, blah, blah. And then when I start doing it, like to me, part of me saying I don't want to do any of this and that whole that whole rant that I did is part of the process that I'm enjoying all at the same time. So Amanda used to like freak out at me when I'm like, sometimes I enjoy being angry. Sometimes I enjoy being frustrated. Sometimes I enjoy when something goes wrong and, I, and I'm slamming my desk and I'm throwing shit across the room. Because to me, that's all part of it, and I enjoy the whole part of it. But that became that's that's for me is a whole a whole self awareness thing, where I'm like, yeah, I can embrace what's happening emotionally at this moment, and I also recognize that this is just part of the mix, and that's what I do, and therefore I don't get wrapped up in it too much. Like I might be ranting and raving for twenty minutes, and then like you know, twenty five minutes later, I'm perfectly fine because the bigger picture is something different. If that makes sense, totally. I do like ranting and raving. It's part of it. Imagine I came in here and it was always like sunshine and rainbows. It'd be fucking weird. It wouldn't be like hanging out with me if I wasn't ranting and raving about something. And none of it means anything. You're staring at me like it does. So, Mark, you just kind of made me think of a whole nother thing. It's just releasing the perfectionism that we get with wanting to do things a certain way. Do you ever, have you ever felt that sometimes? It's like, okay, well, if I'm going to be doing a thing, it has to be like so perfect. Like, like this exercise needs to be done this perfect way. And like this, like routine has to be done this certain way. And then this day, like it needs to be done at that time. Like that is something that I've noticed is such a killer for any flow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, I find that self-care needs flow, like just like how music needs flow. Like you, you can't just... you can be just so perfect all the time. You just have to like, just give her and let it kind of happen and then see how it turns out. That works well for, that works well for me because as I said, I'm, I'm more like Julie where I'm not like a routine type of, and you're not either. We're not routine people. We're very much like spontaneous and flexible and whatever. And I think that, I think that works very well for us. Like not everything has to be done in a very specific manner. It's more like, we know the big picture and where we're going. And-, and, I, and I recognize my preferred mode to get there. Yeah. But if it also alters from my preferred mode, is there a way to, to salvage that? Or not even that, just to let it go the way it's going to go, then put this in the books and, and, and analyze this at another date to be like, hey, was how that worked out? Did that work out well? How did this thing go down? Is this something I want to keep? Is this something I want to explore further? Do I want to try it like this again? I'm always experimenting with shit. Yeah. Always, always, always. Try it one way. Okay, now try it another way. Now try it another way. Now try it. Amanda was like, when we were doing 
<laughs> when we were doing our classes and we would do like, oh, I knew you were going to bring this yeah, up. We, we I'm still do, traumatized. I'm do, still traumatized. We would do like an in-person and a Zoom at the same time. Like I would be here until like, you know, 1230 at night trying to find the perfect setup for Zoom that's most efficient. And then I'm like, okay, I got this down. And then the and next weekend. Wait, wait, no, no, no. But he'd run a class and it would run perfectly. And the next weekend he'd come here and he'd be here until midnight again because he's like, I bet I can do this a little bit better. And this went on for fucking months months and like experimenting right my mind was my head was exploding because he like i would be i'm the only other person that works here so i'd either be here with him or he'd be testing it out so he'd call me seven thousand times in one night to jump on zoom to see you know oh can you see me here is this clear how does this sound how does this look how's this lighting how's this camera angle i'm like oh my god but we had it so good last weekend but we can do it better yeah (laughs) or we can find you know but we don't know if it's better unless we try it out. Try. And then now I know, cut this, don't do that, put this here, do this, and this is the way it's going to I go. never thought the experimenting would end, and honestly. It's ended. It's, it's ended, <laughs> but oh my God, I was I was legitimately traumatized. That's I was like, when? Man. When are you going to be satisfied with this? <laughs> <laughs> the minute you said the word perfectionism, Julie, I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's, I think, the killer of the, the killer of any creativity sometimes, or it can also be the, the fuel for awesome things to happen. See, perf- I don't know if I would, I would say it's perfectionism. I think I'd go back to it's, it's the expectation, right? If you are so right. rigid in your expectations, that's it. That's where things get destroyed. You can't be rigid in your expectations. You can be a perfectionist in the sense of, you know, what, how we just described Mark, where like you are always striving for improvement. I don't see anything wrong with that. It's when you have this very specific expectation of how things are going to play out when they don't go that way. If you have the inability to adapt and and say, okay, we're doing it this way this time, and let's see what happens. If immediately you get sort of like brought down and discouraged and whatever because things didn't go the way you wanted, that's when things tend to not turn out. That's when more stress builds, and you know that's that's where things get killed. It's too much weight on expectations. Yeah, hands down. Like I had this um, movement practice. So I I have these exercises that are very, very detailed and very specific to try to help connect uh, my brain to different parts of my body that aren't moving properly. And so they're, they're, they need to be done in very specific ways. And so I would like to do that after the end of the day. So I could just kind of repattern my body in certain ways and just kind of calm down, do some stretching or whatever. And then I noticed that I would stop doing it because I was like, I just don't, I just don't want it to be like that, but I know I need to do it. And then at some point I just decided F that I'm just going to start dancing. And so my move, my exercise routine became a movement practice. And that movement practice was so freeing because I I would just dance and then I would do some yoga and then I would do some push-ups, and then I do some squats and then more dancing. And then I would start singing and then I would start toning. And then it just, I just started doing what my body needed to do in that time. Yeah, And it became like by, like you said, like letting go of that rigidity of how I thought it needed to be. It just became this, just this very resourcing practice that I would do after the end of the day. And then I became, I was like, oh, yeah, but it needs to be like at least an hour long. 
And then I had to stop, stop like releasing that expectation. The kids, this is what I do all the time. It was just like that rigid expectation was like, it needs to be this way. We've all been guilty of that. I've done that multiple. You know how people, when they start working out again, it's always like day one again, day one again. Why is it yeah. day one? Why isn't it just, you know what? I didn't work out for a while and now I'm doing yeah. And like, it was... I was very much like that where I'd have a plan of I'm going to work out this many days a week and these are the workouts I'm going to do and these are the times and da, 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 da. And it was like if I missed one, it suddenly all the hard work I had put in before was erased. Like my my perfectionist expectation, whatever you want to call it, like that that part of my brain was like, well, now everything's destroyed. So, you know, go to McDonald's and just give up. <laughs> No, don't give up. Keep going. <laughs> I mean, I don't do that anymore. But yeah, no, but years that's, ago, that's that was default. that's what it was. I mean, it was the same thing with certain. I, I realized I was doing this in a lot of aspects of my life. So, for example, something as simple like everybody does every day, cleaning your house. Okay, let's be honest. When you're running businesses, when you have children, when you it's very easy for your house to get very messy and very dirty very quickly. And it is unrealistic to have the time to clean it top to bottom every day, right? Mm -hmm. But it took me a very more time than I want to admit of my adult life to realize if I do small jobs every day, that's not a failure. It was like I had this expectation that if I didn't clean everything, well, I might as well not clean nothing versus like today, for example, all I did was two loads of laundry and I dusted my entertainment unit, which one of my kids had written their name in the dust. So like that had to be done. But <laughs> it was like one, you know, two little, two small jobs or like last week, Mark had to work late one night and he called me. He goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm cleaning the toilets. Just just the toilets. Like I was like, these should be cleaned now. So I'm going to clean them because he's not home. And it's something so simple, but it's brought me so much peace, like just doing small jobs to keep things sort of always relatively clean. Whereas like 10 years ago, it was like, I have to book a whole afternoon home by myself where I can clean this place top to bottom. Why? Like, why did I make this an imaginary rule that that's how I had to clean? My partner calls it compounding interest. I mean, you can obviously in the financial world, <laughs> but then it's so true. It's like little bits every day. It's like, that's so much more realistic. So much more realistic. And yeah. I, I don't know why it took so long for me to realize I don't have to spend six hours cleaning for something to get clean. And maybe next it. week it's going to be a six hour day. And maybe. <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> Actually, I'm on vacation next week. It's going to be a zero hour day. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I before we finish up today, I do want to say that um, Julie's got great ideas. And yes, although she says she's not a psychologist, we really love all of her thoughts on self care. And she's recognized a hole in the industry and she has teaching experience. And we want to work with her to start developing some education for therapists in this area. So she is going to be part of the Canadian Massage Conference Woo! this Woo year. Um, I think she's going to be doing strictly a virtual course, possibly coming in person, but most likely virtual because we are so far apart. Um, and then who knows, maybe from there, we might see her either at Con Ed, maybe on Massage Therapy Media, who knows, but we want to work together and get some education in this area for therapists because we all find it to be very important. Yeah, thanks Thanks for accepting the invitation to be part of the Canadian Massage Conference. Now that we're involved with it, we really want to shake it up a lot. We want to bring a lot more variety. We want to bring some new presenters. We want to bring some different material that is really needed in our industry profession. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much for accepting our 
invitation. Oh, yeah. Thank you for the invitation. And also, you know, if anybody wants to reach out uh, and, you know, put in your word and your two cents that, you know, your voice is important. And especially if you want to make massage therapy a practice that can be long, like a long practice, because, you know, they say the average person, the average RMT lifespan is 48 years which is kind of ridiculous. I have, I have two friends that weren't even able to finish paying off their student loans before they had to stop practicing, which was within four years after being done practicing, uh, done school. And so I would love to see RMTs thrive. And because we actually can provide a certain level of care to people that I believe is, is unique in the healthcare industry. And yeah, I'd love to hear any, any feedback, any comments that, and your two cents, you know, whatever you feel was helpful and uh, what you would like to see in terms of self-care development would be fantastic. Um, Yeah. So thank you for having me. I've had a blast. (laughs) We love talking to you, Julie. Before we do wrap up though, um, for people who do want to get in touch with you, do you have like a website or social media where people can get in touch with you? Yes. So uh, my social media, my business name is Symbiosis Massage Therapy Services. So you can see that on find and find that on uh, Facebook. Instagram is Symbiotically Fluid, which is a bit of a mouthful or symbiosisrmt.com. You can find me there. Awesome. And we'll link all that when we release this episode. Right on. I do want to ask you one final question. The Pam interview, because I don't remember it. I don't remember much of it. This is the only thing I remember. It was a while ago. This is the only thing I remember from it. When we introduced Pam and I said, she looks like she enjoys a stiff drink, a cigar, and she likes to say the word fuck. And then she's like, you got it right. Minus the cigar. That's the (laughs) only thing I remember about that. It's the only thing I remember about that. And that's horrible. That's the only thing I remember. eh? (laughs) I remember how happy you were about that. Because she's it was got a this, great interview. Because she's got this presence and she has this respect in the field that that I love that she will say, Yeah, I, I, I like I like a drink and I'll say the word fuck every once in a while. Thanks for asking, you know. Yeah. Pam's well, our best- people. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I love about your podcast is that there's there's a lot of people that have come on that break the mold. And I think that that's basically what we all need to do is start breaking certain molds because they're too restrictive. I agree. Yeah. And we really appreciate that you reached out to us and we're excited to start working with you. I mean, we've kind of already started behind the scenes, but we're very excited to start working with you. So am I. I can barely hold it together. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> right on. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace.